Um, all of us have sayings that we have in our lives, little catchy ones that remind us of this is what we value, this is kind of, of what we do. And um, I was wondering if you had heard of the saying, give credit where credit is due. Is that something you've heard of before? Just raise your hand if you've heard that before. Or give us a thumbs up and chat if you've heard that before. What does that mean? What does give credit where credit is due mean? Any ideas? Any thoughts? Means thank you. Okay? Means thanking. Yes? Uh, maybe something more though. Something, something else. I think that's a good start. But what does it mean? What does... Give credit where credit is due mean? Recognizing someone for what they did. Yeah, I think at the very basic form, that's exactly what it means. It means to acknowledge an accomplishment. And we do that whether we like the person or not. So we can say things like, as, as uh, believers, I think we can say things like, well, you know, I don't like this person. I don't like this leader. I may not be a fan of everything that they do, but let's give Let's give credit where credit is due. They did a good job at this one little thing. They did this one little thing that we really like. I think sometimes we're just so quick to, to jump on people and say, aha, look at that thing that they did, and I want to give them the credit because it gets them into trouble. But <laughs> no, I think giving credit where credit is due is simply acknowledging an accomplishment. And I think this goes uh, actually a lot farther than you and I would ever imagine. When I was studying for my doctorate in uh, preaching the literary forms of the Bible that turned into a fundraising project, just connect the dots somehow in your mind. Um, When I took that, my first chapter, I submitted a number of, uh, a whole chapter on why uh, we need to study this particular project. And I had a number of references from a number of researchers and books and articles and podcasts and websites and all sorts of things proving this project had to be completed. And it got sent back to me and said that my footnoting wasn't complete. And I went, what do you mean? I I referenced everything. I gave credit where credit is due to every uh, quote and article to everything that I wrote in this chapter. What are you talking about? And they said, what you did was you chose books that we're actually quoting someone else. And in reality, what you have to do is not just quote someone who's quoting something. You have to go all the way back to the original author. You have to go all the way back to the actual person who's giving that quote. So you can't reference someone who's quoting something who's quoting something. You've got to follow that lead all the way back and you've got to have your own copy and you've got to reference it. You've got to put it in your paper. So if you love school and writing papers, you're thinking, yes, of course, that makes sense. And if you're me, (laughs) you're thinking, oh no, I've got to go find all these things, all these different, you know, subtrees and things like that. That's when I learned that giving credit where credit is due matters. We often learn that in different ways. Some of us learn it because credit is given where it's not due. Or worse, credit is taken when it is not due. Maybe the boss takes credit for something that you put in all the hard work on. 
or when the teams congratulated your piece, which was a vital component of the research or the project that was being completed, you're neglected, you're not mentioned, your part isn't promoted, even though you were the one who, say, saved the moment or whatever, it's just neglected. I've been the person who has forgotten to give credit where credit is due. I have felt it when credit is taken and given to someone else. And of course, I mean, we just had a whole devotional for communion about being humble and hearing that this isn't something that we should, you know, focus on, that we should just accept that. But it still stings. I believe the theological word is, I think it sucks, right? When you don't get the credit that you deserve, when you put in so much extra work to make this project go, and then the raise goes to someone else, the promotion goes to someone else, the recognition goes to someone else, and all you get is the participation trophy, the certificate, the kindergarten slogan with the star that's going across that piece of paper, the certificate of achievement. You did it. You tied your shoes or whatever. You showed up. You know, you, you were in the Zoom call. That's about it. That's all the credit that you get. We understand that it's important to give credit where credit is due. Amen? You think that's true? Okay, let me try that again. Um, as one person said yes. <laughs> one person said amen. And there's more people than that. In case you're, you're uh, participating online, there's more people than that here in the room this morning. So let me try that again. It's important for people to give credit where credit is due. Right? Yes. Ah, there we go. And... By extension, would you say that it is important for Christians, believers, to give credit where credit is due? Not as sure. Okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. At least there was a response, and that's all I was going for. If you believe that's true, then what on earth is King David doing? If you believe giving credit where credit is due, then why on earth does King David do what he does when he's building the temple? Or when he's making plans to build the temple? If you're just joining us for the first time, we are in the middle of a series called This Is Us. It's a look at our core values because our core values not only define who we are, they decide who we are because we eventually become our core values. And so the very first week we talked about as a, as a bit of a preamble, sort of the prelude to the whole series about our seven core values, we talked about that the core of us is Jesus. That at the core of us is Jesus, our, sanct, our, our Savior, but he's more than just our Savior. He's our sanctifier. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our coming king. That's how we kicked off the whole series with a great celebration. And at the core, at the hub of the wheel, where all of the spokes connect is Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how lost people matter to God and he wants them found. And last week, we talked about how prayer is the primary work of the people of God. And this week, we're talking about just a simple little adjustment in the way that we think about our stuff that makes a massive difference in the way that we 
live. This is something that defines us. And let me show you what's happening. If you've got a Bible with you, turn with me in them to 1 Chronicles 29. And we normally have the verses up for you. Uh, We do have some verses for you. But as you uh, turn there, I want to encourage you uh, that I just want to give you some background as to what's happening. David wanted to build God a temple. All that he had was a tabernacle. And the tabernacle was, well, it's a tent. And David said, it's not right for me to live in a palace while God lives in a tent. Right? So he said, I'm going to build God a home. And if you're going to build God a home, you've got to do it right. So he led the way and he donated a whole bunch of his wealth, more than half from my estimation. He donated more than half of his resources, gold, silver, bronze, iron, all sorts of precious jewel, all sorts of incredible wood, all sorts of overlays to go towards the building of the temple. And then he challenges the leaders to come and do the same. And the leaders really stepped up. If you've got your Bible, take a look at 29 verse 6. Or sorry, verse 7. The leaders gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold. Um, That's over 110 tons of gold. That's what the leaders did. They gave even more silver, 10,000 talents, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. David the king challenges all of the people. This is what I've done. I want to see God have the best possible house that he can. Leaders, will you step up and join me? And the leaders did. Isn't that really refreshing? Isn't there a massive uh, 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 infrastructure package and social care package that's in government right now? And what, is, what, are we, what are we hearing about how that's going to get paid for? Someone else will do it. We're going to go after the other people and we're going to make them pay. Isn't this refreshing? The guy who's in charge says, actually, I'm going to give more than my, half, of my health, half of my wealth away. Here you go. I've already got it going. Who's with me? And then the rest of the leaders who have so much, they also step up. I look at this and I go, who are these people and how can I meet them? (laughs) Do they still exist today? Are they still around in the world? People who say, this is the job that we have to do and I'm going to pay for it, not make someone else pay for it. I love this. I want to meet those kind of people. And the people the people, they are amazed. We read in verse 9 that they rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. I am blown away by this. And David prays, and there's this big formal prayer. I'm not going to read it, but it's very formal. It's kind of written out in a way that I suspect this is David on script. This is David's teleprompter. 
giving praise to the Lord. This is the response that people are giving, and he has something formal as a response. This is the formal declaration, and it's very poetic. It's very well written out. In the Hebrew, it's, it's really, really well arranged, so I think David had some time to wordsmith. After all, David's a songwriter, right? He wrote a number of the Psalms that we have in Scripture, so he knows how to do poetry. I think he's writing a poetic prayer so that he can read it publicly. And then he goes off script. David doesn't praise the people for their incredible generosity. He praises God. As a matter of fact, this is what we read. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. I know formatting in the ancient text um, is right to left. That's Hebrew, right? You read right to left. But it seems to me that David's gone off the teleprompter and he's winging it. Because something clicks for him. Something he realizes for him. He realizes really this. Everything we have belongs to God. Everything. We are his stewards. If you grew up in church, you, knew what a, you know what a steward is. Um, a steward is best seen in a couple of places in the New Testament where there's discussion of the shrewd manager. So we get the idea of a manager. And as a matter of fact, he's a middle manager. And Jesus uses that story to say having that kind of a mindset of being a middle manager isn't a bad thing. We always think that middle management has like the worst job because they don't really have authority to do anything, but they have to get other people under them to do stuff. Right? And they don't get enough compensation for the people that they have to lead. Middle management is not something that we want to deal with. If we've got a problem, we want to go to someone who can actually solve the issue, not someone who's just in middle management. But Jesus says, have the attitude of a steward, a middle manager, because they have the best outlook on life. They understand what it means to use what's not theirs in a way that benefits them. And David does this. He doesn't use his wealth in a way that benefits him. The leaders don't use their wealth in a way that benefits him out of selfish ambition, vain conceit. Instead, they use it for God. And it dawns on David, whether it's at this moment, but my hunch is, it's just a hunch. That David goes off the poem that he's written and says, but who am I? And who are we? After all, everything we have comes from you. The definition of a manager, a steward. Another example that we have in scripture is that of the widow and the widow's might. You grew up in church, you kind of remember the story of the widow's might. The woman who had nothing coming and giving two small coins, three small coins. 
And Jesus said she's given more than anyone else because she gave out of desperate poverty, desperate need. And she said, I still have a greater need than money. I need God. I need to be right with him. I need to obey him above all else. I think, I think we understand this principle that everything we have belongs to God, but we still struggle with, well, how much is really everything? Is there some wiggle room in 100%? Is there some movement that we can have when we consider that? I think we do struggle with that. I think we're born with that issue because it's something that we have to teach our kids, right? Don't take something that isn't yours. Share with others. We teach kids those kinds of values. And if kids do take things that aren't theirs, what happens to them? They get in trouble. If God owns everything, what happens to the kids who take God's things and say they're theirs? What happens to them? If little kids get into trouble, what happens to the big kids? They get in trouble. So what's that trouble? Well, Jesus would actually amplify this, I think, a little bit and say, in that same story of middle management and the shrewd manager, he warns us all that what you own can begin to own you. And at that moment, an awful exchange happens where we take God from the center of our lives and our stuff, our possessions, our wealth, our money takes his rightful place on the throne of our lives. And the thing is about possessions is they kind of suck at being a god. They're inanimate. They only feed our own selfish ambition and vain conceit. And that's why I think David went off script, because I think he knew this. I think he knew that when he thought that everything he had was, belong, was from God, and that he was merely a steward, he did really well. Can you think of an example in David's life when that would have been true? In, in chat, what are some of the famous stories about David that you learned, uh, maybe growing up, or that you remember from, from school, or Sunday school, or small group, or wherever? What was, what's kind of the big story about David? Do you remember? Type your answer in chat, but what about here in the room? What do you think? What was, what's the big story that you remember about David? Goliath. Yeah, David and Goliath. And the really interesting part about that David at that moment is when he walks into the presence of King Saul. And Saul says, so you're the kid who thinks that you're going to kill Goliath. And David says, yeah, I have to fight him because he's insulted the one I love. Saul says, okay, well, you can't fight like this, so I'm going to give you armor. Gives him some armor, and he goes, oh, I can't fight in this. I don't, I don't know how. And all the time, he's being asked, why do you think you can win against Goliath, a trained killer? Why do you think you can do it? And his answer was not, oh, because I've had success in the past as a shepherd. 
It was God delivered me from the lion. God delivered me from the bear. He will deliver me in this sense. I will not let his name be defamed, insulted, taken in vain by this Philistine. And of course, we know he goes out and fights. He has this view that even back when he was successful as a shepherd, that all of his success, it came from the Lord. I think he also knew from experience of what it meant to live out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Because there's another story that, well, you might not have heard it in, in tack kids or Sunday school or you might have heard it in youth group. Do you remember the other story that's famous about David? There's David and Goliath and there's David and Bathsheba. Oh, oh yeah, that Remember that story? Where David sees a young woman bathing on the roof uh, across the way. And he decides, I will have her. She now belongs to me. And he takes her. He takes her sexually, even though she's married to his, I don't know, I think it was his general. One of his best fighting men. Tried to cover it up by getting the husband killed. He didn't really worry about it too, too much. Thought it was just a one-night fling until uh, Bathsheba got pregnant. Oh, that makes the cover-up a little bit harder. So how do, we, how do we get this to work? And how did God react to when David took something that didn't belong to him? Punished him. How did he punish him? Chat, do you remember? What did he take? He's right. The child that was uh, Bathsheba was carrying did not live because of David. I think David knew firsthand that everything he had belonged to God. All of his successes were part of God's blessing to him, God's promise to him. He brought skill. He understood how to fight in combat, especially afterwards, but he did not always fight the giants alone. He had a huge band of, of mighty men who came and did amazing things like slaying guys who were taller than Goliath, who slaying more people than, than David did. And it was just amazing how he generated all of these things. And in the moment of his greatest triumph, when he's able to build this incredible edifice so that God, God's glory could be clearly seen all around the world. He breaks into that verse and says, but, but wait a minute. I know I'm supposed to be in the middle of this formal prayer, but, but who am I? And who are we? We're just giving back to you what you've given to us. That's nuts that you would let us do that. David would go on. I think he's still freewheeling off the teleprompter and he would say, you know, God, you're, you test the heart and are pleased with integrity and may our hearts always belong to you, not 
Not look at us, look at the gift we made, but look at you. Look at what you've done. All we have comes from you. We're merely stewards. And I think that's why God blesses us. I think one of the reasons why God blesses us is not just because he can, but because he wants to help us and know where our heart is really at. Do I value the gift or do I value the gift giver? So what, let's give credit where credit is due to the th- stuff that we have. We have values, sticky statements, pithy little sayings that help us remind us what is really valuable. Can I suggest that everything we have belongs to God, we are his stewards, is a great thing to put on a document, but not really something that sticks in here as you walk away. Yeah, everything we have is God's. What do we do again? Can I make this suggestion that for, in order for us to take this value and apply it to our lives today, we change it to this. It's not mine. It's his. Would you just turn to someone next to you and tell them that? It's not mine. It's his. Now, you're talking about your own stuff, not, not their stuff. You're, you're talking about your stuff. Would you just turn to them and say, it's not mine. It's his. And in chat, if you're participating online, just type out, it's not mine. It's his. Capital H, his. Let's do that on the count of three. One, two, three. Okay, let's try that again, because you kind of talk to me, and I appreciate that, but I want you to turn to someone next to you, someone closer to you, and tell them, it's not mine, it's his. Three, two, one, go. It's not mine, it's his. It's not mine. It's his. You've heard of a, a last will and testament, right? When you kind of take all the things and say, this is where this is going to these kids and these, you know, it's going in this direction. Can I make a recommendation that you make your very last one about all the stuff you have and make it nice and short and just put that. It's not mine. It's his. As a matter of fact, one of the exercises you can do is after the football game is over and the bills have won, then you can go and detail all of the data and you can, you can take all of the things that you own in your home and you can just look at that and say, that's not mine. It's his. You can take inventory and you can say, I'm giving you all of these things, God. They're not mine. They're yours. They belong to you. And you can begin to practice that all the time. Because you can change how you talk about your stuff. Just this little trick can change everything about how you view your possessions. What if you were to start talking about your stuff as God's stuff? I'll give you an example. Uh, How many of you live in a home? How many of you live in an apartment? How many of you have a place where you lay down and go to sleep at night? All of you. What if that wasn't your home, your house, your apartment? What if that was God's home, God's house, God's apartment? Going back to God's apartment tonight. 
How will I use that for God? That automatically begins to make you think, oh, this belongs to God. I need, it's, it's his. I need to respect it as his. How can I use it as his? I get to live here, but how will I use this home for God? How will I use God's car? How will I use it? It's not my car. It's God's car. How will I use God's paycheck? How will I use God's 401k? How will I use God's stimulus money? How will I use God's tax return? How will I use God's smartphone? How will I use God's computer? How will I use God's TV? Everything we have belongs to God. We are his stewards. Imagine what our church could be if all of us who follow Jesus said, it's not mine, it's his. And imagine what our lives could be, what our stuff could be and do and accomplish if we looked at all of that and said, it's not mine. It's his. Who are we? And that the God of the universe would bless us. When we give to him, we are only giving back what he has already given us and blessed us with. Imagine the undeniable proof that God transforms lives if all Christians said it's not mine, it's his, and they lived like it. Would you like to live in a world like that? Me too. And I think it all starts with that principle. Everything we have belongs to God. We are his stewards. It is not mine. It's not mine. It's his. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we come, um, we come humbled because if we're honest, if, if I'm honest, there's no faster way to get me to act selfishly than to think of my stuff to think of my money, my blessings. And here's a man, David, who you have blessed in every way. You chose him to be a king because of his heart. You continued to bless him. You promised that his kingdom would never end. And you are fulfilling that promise in Jesus Christ. And David realized in this big moment of this fundraising moment for people responding and giving towards building the temple, he realized, but who are we? And before you, God, this morning, we say the same thing. Who are we that you would bless us? Oh, 
All we have already belongs to you. It's yours. May you help us to remember that. May you help us to remember that we are middle managers, we are stewards. Would you help us remember it's all yours? It's not ours. Belongs to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.